to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I missed being with you guys last week, uh, but I'm excited to be back with you and continuing on in our series. And so we're looking at a message entitled Equipped and Edified. Uh, you will find all those blanks if you have the guided notebook paper. And uh, just our heart behind that, just to remind you, we do it every now and then, and this is to train and to prepare you. Uh, you will not always have guided notes, just like we don't always do guided notes. But hopefully, during this time, it begins to develop in you the understanding of how to take notes. Because literally, this is the same notebook paper that you use week to week. It just, rather than having blank lines, it has some fill in the blank. And so, if you, if you were, you know, if you started writing notes on your own, you could, you could do the same thing. Uh, just on your own. And so there's going to be a time where you don't always have guided notes. What's up, buddy? You don't have a pen? Well, you got to go up and get one. No more. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you a pen, buddy. Don't worry. All right. So last week, Tate started off this second portion of the book of Ephesians, highlighting what you and I do in response to what God has done. Remember, we're at that transition mark. We're now out of Ephesians 1 through 3, which was what God had done, and we are now in what we do in response. And essentially, what Paul instructs his readers, what we talked about last week, uh, not we, but you and Tate, uh, talked about was walking worthy, and uh, kind of all centered around the unity of the body of Christ. And one of the great things about God is the fact when God gives a command, he always gives the ability for us to obey him. God will never command you to do something that you are unable to do, in the sense with him, right? By yourself, yeah, you're not going to be able to do it. But God will supply the power when he supplies the command. And so today, as we get into verses 7 through 16, it's a continuation of the topic of unity. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 6. This was what you ended on with Tate last week. And he talked about how there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's this repetition in regards to this is our common ground. We all come from different homes, different backgrounds, different families. We have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. But we come here today because there's something that unifies us. We worship the same God, the same Holy Spirit that is in me. If you are a believer, is the same Holy Spirit that is in you. But I want you to note a couple things down on this topic of unity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Uniformity, I want you to think about that word for a moment. Anyone go to private school and have to wear uniforms? Okay, so you guys don't have, you wake up in the morning, you don't have to think about what you're wearing. You know what you're wearing. Kind of nice, but also I'm sure kind of interesting at times. Now with that, think about the word uniform. It's the idea that everything is the same. Now that's not what we have within the church. Though there is unity, there are things that connect us. It does not mean that we are all the same. It doesn't mean that we all have to get the same haircut and wear the same boots and, and, and then act the same and talk the same. No, there is differences amongst the unity. And so while we have all these things in common, we aren't these mechanical robots doing the same thing, looking and acting the same. And so within the unity, there is diversity. There's differences, and those differences are from God. 
But we need to have this balanced view of unity, but diversity. And this is what Paul begins to get into. And those first six verses, Paul had to establish the concept of what unifies us, what brings us together. But now as we dip into this next section, he's going to get to the differences. And those differences are going to be in the area of spiritual gifts. The fact that you and I have the same spirit, but different giftings. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7 says this, and, and it illustrates it so well. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You see, while we have the same spirit, it doesn't mean everything always looks the same. Rather, God has gifted you differently than he has gifted me. And God's different, gifted me differently than he's gifted you. There is these differences. And so today we are diving into the topic of spiritual gifts or the gifts of the spirit. We're not diving in that because that's what I necessarily wanted to talk about, although I'm very excited for today. But we are marching our way through the book of Ephesians. And this is Paul's next topic. And so Ephesians chapter 4 is one of three passages that we find the listing and the functioning of spiritual gifts. I want you guys in the margins of your notebook paper to write down the other two passages. One of them is 1 Corinthians 12. That's why I quoted from that very passage. The other is Romans 12. There are three passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, where we're at today, 1 Corinthians 12, and then you're going to see throughout our study, I'm also going to make reference to Romans chapter 12. Each of these passages don't, com uh, don't compile a complete list, but when you put them all together and you read Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12, you begin to get a very good view of the topic of spiritual gifts. But for today, we'll make reference to those other two chapters, but we'll primarily dig in to Ephesians 4. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in verse 7 through verse 16. If this is new for you, we are standing because we revere and respect God and want to honor him. And so we're going to stand. I'm going to read it out loud. And you, in your own Bible that you should have in front of you, uh, just read along with me in your own head and heart. And then we'll pray for the anointing of the message. You need help? Okay, you can go, you can go to the back, Duran, and take, take can help you, okay? Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father in heaven, this is your word, and we pray that you'd bless the message today. And in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. Well, you may be seated. Uh, we're first going to be looking at how the gifts were given. We're looking at the how and the why today. Uh, those are going to be our two categories where we break down the text. And so we're first going to look at how the gifts were given. And verse 7 is this transitional sentence for us. It's a transition of what we are to do, which is last week, walk worthy, to how we actually begin to do that. By what ability and power can we do what Paul has instructed us to do? Well, I want you to zero in on verse 7. If you have your Bibles open, notice it says, but to each one, to each one. It doesn't say to most, it doesn't say to many, it says to each one. This tells us that every believer is included in what Paul is about to dive into. There are no exclusions when it comes to spiritual gifts. No one gets accidentally passed over. If you today have the Spirit of God living in you, then you have been given at least one spiritual gift from heaven. The second thing I want you to notice is that it says that this grace was given, but to each one, grace was given. This also tells us that you and I don't receive gifts, the, the spiritual gifts, based upon our own merit or work, but it's by God's grace. It wasn't that God looked down from heaven and said, you are awesome, and I'm going to give you this gift. No, no giftings are based on your awesomeness, but God's goodness. Romans 12, 6 illustrates this for us when Paul would say, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We see a very close unity between verse 6 of Romans 12 and verse 7 of Ephesians 4. And remember, this is that other passage that I mentioned to you, Romans chapter 12, that talks about spiritual gifts. Listen, these spiritual gifts we're talking about today, they have nothing to do with your physical abilities or talents. Some of you might have incredible talents and physical abilities. That is awesome. And even that, yes, of course, God has applied to you. The reason you have the body you have, the mind you have, is because it is the one God gave you. However, what we are talking about today is something supernaturally, and it is something spiritual. So by nature, spiritual gifts are not physical gifts. They have nothing to do with the, the, your natural body. They have to do with the Spirit of God in your life. And it's according to the measure of Christ's gift, meaning that Christ is the one who gives it. The main point of these verses is the fact that it was Jesus who gave gifts to his people, and he has not looked anyone in the distribution of these gifts, okay? So Jesus gave them, and he didn't miss 
anyone. I want to share with you this same verse in the Amplified Version of the Bible. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Amplified Version of the Bible. It's a very different uh, kind of version, uh, and it's very helpful to Bible study because it expands on the richness of the original language. And it does this expansion or this amplification. That's why it's called the Amplified Version. It amplifies what is in the Bible. And it does this by these brackets. So notice it's the same verse, but it's translated slightly different, but it has these brackets that are not in the original uh, text, but they are based upon the words that are used. So notice it gives us a little more insight. Yet grace, God's undeserved favor, that's what grace is, was given to each one of us, not indiscriminately, but in different ways, in proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and abundant gift. I think that's helpful for us to be able to understand today. Now, after verse 7, it's at this point that you will notice in your Bible a different way of, of paragraphing. So look in your Bibles. You, you should have in it where it kind of has this transition in a way of a quotation. He says, therefore, he says, he's referring to God in the Old Testament. Verse 8, 9, and 10 is a quotation from Psalm 68, which is a prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he's going to give gifts. And so this is fulfilled in the New Testament but talked about in the old. And we find that when he says, when he, being Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is something that God didn't decide to do last minute. This was planned and purposed. Psalm 68, if you were ever to read the psalm, is a psalm showing the triumphant and victorious nature of God. And I believe that he inserts this quotation because it speaks of the rule, authority, and power of Jesus within the church. Because Jesus ascended to the Father, he now has the right from heaven to give you a spiritual gift. If Jesus hadn't ascended, then he wouldn't have that position and place to be able to give these gifts that he has given. And so this wasn't a job that Jesus handed off to someone else. He didn't say, hey, Michael, archangel. Hey, Gabriel, the messenger angel. He didn't say, hey, I want you to do something. Go and give gifts to all of the people that are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. No, we see from verse 11 that this was something he handled himself. Look in your Bibles and note verse 11. He says, and he himself gave some. The reason that it's written in that way, he himself, is an emphasis that Jesus did this personally and with purpose. These gifts are not given at random. In heaven, there's not like this big wheel that when someone gets saved, that Jesus says, all right, let's see what they get. And all the spiritual gifts are on the wheel. And so the wheel goes round and around and there's that little thing at the top. And whatever it lands on is the gift that you get. It's not like that. Jesus has this planned purpose, and it is personal. This is confirmed by Paul when he says this in the book of Romans, again, chapter 12. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, 
to everyone who is among you not to think of him <coughs> excuse me not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as god has dealt to each one a measure of faith notice on the screen and look at the end of verse 3 it's very similar to what we're talking about today that god dealt a spiritual one or more spiritual gifts based upon each one's measure of faith. Measure. Do I have anyone that likes to bake or cook in here? So if you ever have baked or cooked, you know that there are certain measurements required. If you're baking something, then you have a certain amount of cups of flour. You have a certain amount of, uh, of, of butter. You have a certain amount of eggs. Now, what's better when baking a cake? Eggs or flour? Now, it's a trick question because they're not, one is not better. If you don't have eggs, it ain't going to be a good cake. If you don't have flour, it also is not going to be a very good cake. Why? The measurements, when you see measurements of different ingredients, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that they're different, that you wouldn't want as much eggs as you have flour. That would be a misbalance and the cake would taste terrible. In a similar way, God has given these gifts God has given a measure of faith for you to then walk in that spiritual gift, but one is not better than the other. They are all needed. And that's where we have the idea of unity. Differences, but one goal. Notice verse four, we'll keep reading this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So there we see the concept of unified, but diversified. You got to have both. And there is not one gift better than another. And so there's the gift of, of, of pastor. There's the gift of uh, evangelist. Those are two we're looking at today. There's the, the gift of help. So the gift of administration. One gift is not better than the other, The whole point of the gifts is that they work in tandem. They work together. What's better, my foot or my hand? Now, we could have a debate. That could even be a one-minute interview question. Would you rather lose your hand or rather rather lose your foot? But I want both, and they work in union, right? They work together. And the idea, I would not want a third or fourth foot, okay? Okay. I wouldn't want that. Now, I mean, if you had like another leg, but would you, you guys get the concept. You need both. They, they work together and the gifts that God gives, one is not better than the other. They work together. We find this again in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 11 and 18. This is that other chapter I mentioned about spiritual gifts, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So how does God determine what, who gets what gifts? It's as he wants. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Okay? Make sense? Now you'll notice in verse 11, he, be, he, he shares four spiritual gifts that have been given to the church. Now, this is not a complete list. This is only four. You can find the other gifts mentioned in those other two chapters that we've been talking about. But let's go into the four that he mentioned, okay? You should have um, some, excuse me, space on your notebook paper uh, for one of the first gifts that he mentions, 
which is the gift of apostleship. And this is a spiritual gift that God has given the church. Now, when we all hear the word apostle, immediately our minds go to the 12 apostles that Jesus chose. And that completely makes sense. Apostle, if you are taking notes, it means one who is sent with a mission. Okay? One who is sent with a mission. It is a divinely appointed representative. Now, the difference with an apostle and the gift of apostleship is that the gift of apostleship is something that is active in today's church, but the office of an apostle ended with Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 and 8, we're told that Paul was the last of the apostles, the position. After that, he, being Jesus, was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. One of the credentials to be an apostle is to have seen the risen Lord. And so those were the, the uh, apostles that Jesus chose. And then, of course, we know that Paul was born out of due time, meaning he saw Jesus uh, in a different kind of way, but he saw him. And so though there is no longer the office of an apostle, people still have the gift of apostleship. And I'll share what that is in a moment. But listen, if someone comes up to you or you hear about someone who claims to be an apostle, you have to then ask them, well, have you seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ personally? If they say no, they're not an apostle. If they say yes, run away, okay? That, that, that is the reality. There are not current day apostles, okay? They are in heaven. But then what is this gift of apostleship? Well, this seems to be what we would call our modern day missionaries. It's not that every missionary has the gift of apostleship, but many do. Think about what the purpose of the original apostles were. They were to go out with the mission that Jesus gave them, the great commission, and spread the word. They were to go to places that there was no gospel foundations. They were to be pioneers for the gospels, the gospel. And so we know that we still have people like that, that most likely act within this gift of apostleship, those who are involved in church plants. I mean, think about what Paul did. Did Paul stay at one church and pastor over the church there? No, he went from church to church. He would raise up churches. He would go and check in on churches. This was Paul's gift. Now, he had the gift and the position, but what exists within the church today is the gift without the position. Does that make sense? Hopefully a little bit. Well, let's go to the second one. The second one is the gift of prophecy. And this is similar in a way to the gift of apostleship, where there is no official position or office of a prophet. There are no modern day prophets. Now, you might ask yourself, like, why is Pastor Joel telling us this? Because listen, when you get older, and if you haven't already, you will be exposed to churches, denominations, and people who claim Christ that will say that they have modern day prophets and apostles at their church, that you can go and you can hear from them, that they have received divine 
wisdom and instruction from God outside of the word of God. And so I want you guys to know that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo, okay? However, the gift of prophecy still exists today, though there aren't prophets. Now, how do we know that there aren't prophets? Well, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Listen, outside of the Bible, there's no new revelation. This is where you get weird. This is where cults happen. This is where cults like Mormonism claim that they had a prophet named Joseph Smith who went into the forest and he heard directly from an angel. And this is why the Book of Mormon is this. And this is new, this is New Testament. It's this new message, but it's not true. Because God no longer speaks through apostles and prophets like he once did. He speaks through the word of God. And we know this because of Hebrews chapter 1 and many other passages. However, in a similar way, there are still those who God divinely moves to speak on his behalf to the current culture. Okay? God still speaks, but it is through his word. And so one of the ways that the modern day gift of prophecy works in action is less of a foretelling, this is what's going to happen in the future, and it's more of a foretelling of the word of God in light of current culture. I believe, and I don't know what he thinks about me saying this, but I believe that Pastor Jack seems to enact the gift of prophecy. Pastor Jack the prophet? No, he is a pastor who teaches the word of God. But Pastor Jack has this unique Seems like this unique supernatural ability to, have you ever heard Pastor Jack speak? I hope you have and teach. He has this ability to take the word of God and in light of the current culture of the world, connect the two in a way that says, this is what God desires. This is what God wants. Is he, is he foretelling the future? No, but he is speaking forth the word of God in light of what is happening in the world. Wasn't that the job in a similar way of the prophets of old, right? Who would take a message from God and were they to keep it to themselves? No, they were to go and speak it forward, okay? Does that make sense? A couple other things to note on this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 32 and 33 is helpful for us because it gives us this insight that spiritual gifts do not cross the boundary of someone's control of themselves. It says here that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. This is important for you and I to understand because there might be a day in your future where someone invites you to a church and you walk in and there are people speaking in, in tongues in an unorderly way. There are people... Uh, rolling on the ground. There are prophecies being made. People are barking in the spirit and all kinds of wild stuff that I'm telling you guys is out there. And I want you to remember that when the spirit of God comes upon someone and moves someone to do something, they have control of it. They have control of it. And not only that, that whenever God works, it is in an orderly fashion. It's not chaotic. It's not full of confusion. It's full of peace and goodness, okay? And we'll move on with this. Ephesians 2.20 just kind of puts both of these together. 
Ephesians 2.20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We no longer have modern day apostles and prophets. We have Jesus. Now we stand on what those in the past have done and God still moves people to work in the spirit of apostleship and in the spirit of prophecy, but we need to understand that it is all about Jesus, okay? Sweet. So let's move on to the third gift that's mentioned. It's the gift of an evangelist or evangelism. This is a specific ability, supernaturally so, to share the gospel of Jesus in an effective way. Oftentimes, those with the gift of evangelism will use their own testimony as a witness to the gospel. Uh, one of the examples that we see in scripture is the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21, verse 8, talks about Philip the evangelist. It was actually uh, recognized that, that Philip, in that, those early church days, hey, that he is an evangelist. And today, we have modern people that we think of, like Greg Laurie uh, or Billy Graham of, of now old, um, that, that, they, that they are and they were evangelists, no doubt about it. There is this effectiveness that is undeniable. But also, you know, within our church, we have those with the gift of evangelism, maybe even in this room, and you don't even know it, maybe you have the gift of evangelism. What ministry comes to mind when you think about those who probably have the gift of evangelism? Yeah, John. Yeah, the call, no doubt. And so if you, if you want to know if you have the gift, we'll go to the call and see how that goes. Now, this doesn't make our responsibility, like I don't have the gift of evangelism, okay? Should I still share the gospel? Absolutely. Obviously, as a pastor teacher, that should certainly be something I do. But nonetheless, it doesn't negate our responsibility. It doesn't nullify our, our responsibility to share the gospel if we don't have that gift. But there are some that God has set apart separately to be extremely effective in that area. And so um, one of the ways that you can know if you have the gift is start sharing the gospel with people. And uh, if like it never happened, like you'd never see any conversion, that, you should still do it. That's between God and them. But you might not have the gift of evangelism, but you won't know if you don't try. The fourth and final one here in this section is the gift of pastor teacher. This gift is twofold, okay? In the original language, there is an implication that these two gifts are actually one. Now, from other passages in the, in the Bible, we do know that there is the gift of teacher separate from pastor. That is possible, but there is no gift of pastoralship apart from teacher. Anyone that claims to have the gift of pastor also has the gift of teaching. Now that might not be in a public pulpit, but even, and like, for example, we have pastors here at church that never teach from a pulpit, but they teach week by week, day in and day out in their office, that people come in and they have needs and, and burdens. And so they bring out their Bible and they begin to instruct them and teach them in the word of God. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Pastor is interchangeable with the word shepherd. It's an illustration that is given with the gift. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, uh, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Listen, it's really important that even if you don't have the gift of pastor teacher, 
that you know what a pastor teacher is supposed to be. And 1 Peter chapter 5 gives us how, it, how a pastor is supposed to act. It's unfortunate that in our day and age and in our culture that there are many, though, many men who claim to be pastors and are no pastors at all. They like the position, they like the title, they like the power and the authority, but they are not with the people. They take advantage of the people and they are not examples to the people. And so we need to make sure that those who are uh, over us within, in, within a pastoral way uh, match up to what 1 Peter chapter 5 says, okay? So those are the four gifts mentioned here. And so within these verses, we, we find the source of the gift, uh, gifts, which is Jesus. We find four examples of what some of those gifts are. But next, he transitions from the how into the why. The, the next handful of verses that we'll end on is the why of spiritual gifts. We find this in verses 12 through 16. Now, I'd like to point your attention specifically to verse 12 because we find the foundation for the purpose of every gift that's ever been given. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not, get, are not given to a person for personal profit. It's not that God gives the gift of leadership so that person with the gift of leadership can go into the world and run a Fortune 500 company and make millions of dollars. That's not the purpose. It might be a byproduct, but it is certainly never the purpose. The purpose is that gift of leadership would be used in the church, the gathering together of God's people, the gift of serving, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, other gifts that I'm going to encourage you to go and search out in the scriptures, in those other two passages, they are to be used for the people of God. And it's broken down in two ways, okay? And they're two E words. The first one is that spiritual gifts are to be used for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. This word equipping is unique in the Bible because it's only used here in Ephesians chapter four. And it means to make one fit for a purpose. It's to make someone adequate. It describes a preparation and training that fully qualifies someone to do something. It's how a firefighter would, would go through intense preparation and training before ever being sent out to fight a fire. It's how an astronaut would go through years of even more intense preparation before they're ever sent to space. They don't just say, hey, you want to go to space? And the next day you're up there. That's not how it works. You've got to be equipped with the right tools. And so these gifts that God have, has given each one of us is that we might be able to do what God has called us to do, which is to serve one another. Do you see that in verse 12? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Everyone say ministry. That word just means service. What ministry are you involved in? The idea is what service of the church are you serving? This is what we are to be doing. And God has given us spiritual gifts in order to do it. And so it's not only for equipping, but also for the edification or edifying the body of Christ. This word is, means to build up, to strengthen, and to make more able. It's how during construction, workers would 
come with the necessary equipment and ability to do the work at hand. You guys see how we've been doing some construction at the wet, in the wedding courtyard? Those palm trees were removed and uh, they're digging under and they're making uh, some new trees are coming real soon by the end of the month. And they're, they're going to begin a facelift of different courtyards throughout the church, starting with the wedding courtyard. And so you guys see all the tools and stuff that are, is laid out there. You got the tractor, you got different things. You see, that's kind of the idea is that to be edified, that they are bringing these things in order to build up in order to construct. And you see, Jesus is in the business of building his church. That's what he said from long ago. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But how does Jesus do that? How does he build his church? He has chosen to build his church by his people. That, that he would build by building. I will build my church. He does this by giving spiritual gifts for his people to serve one another, that there might be growth, that there might be this inner construction. He does this for edification. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12 says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be done for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. We do not seek personal edification. We don't take our spiritual gift and say, sweet, let me go and use this to make a bunch of money or to do a bunch of cool stuff. No, we do it to serve the body of Christ. And then we find in verse 13, where these two things, equipping and edifying meet. Notice in your Bibles, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This equipping and edifying enables each and every one of us to look and become more like Jesus. This is God's number one goal in your life right now. First, he wants to make you more like Jesus. Then he wants to use you in the lives of those around you to make them look more like Jesus. And he does this through spiritual gifts. And we find in verse 13, 12 and 13 is, is this basis for our understanding of the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, we're beginning to, to wind down our message, but there's still a few verses left. And in verses 14 through 16... It kind of gives us the practical examples of how we're equipped and edified. And so uh, there should have a little section there for you to fill out. We find in verses 14 and 15 how the saints are equipped. And we find that they're equipped to stay away from any deception of, of anyone and to even counteract it with being able to speak the truth and love. You know, we talked about some false teaching today. How do we make sure to know what is right and wrong? It is by the enactment of spiritual gifts in a church. It's by the teaching of God's word of what is true that the body might know. It's through service of one another. It's through the gift of, of, of mercy or, or whatever. If someone's going astray to turn them back. There's so many different elements to this. But we see that the saints are equipped and then in verse 16, we end our time. We see that the body is 
edified. Notice verse 16. It gives the same kind of picture from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Not just the pastor teaching, but the people serving. It causes growth for the body, for the edifying, same word, of itself and love. Listen, it's a beautiful thing when the people of God serve one another. I want to challenge you guys to, after service, if you're able to, walk around the church, or maybe as you're walking to your car. What happens here in one Sunday is nothing short of a supernatural movement of God. Now, it's in small things. You're not going to see fire from heaven and whatever else. But you walk around, you're going to see people ministering to one another. You're going to see prayer happening. You're going to see the gift of administration, someone behind the counter doing stuff. You're going to see the gift of helps when someone comes to help. You're going to see all these different gifts come to life. And so I'd encourage you, just walk around and see what God is doing. And you got to know, though, that you have a part to play. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then that means you have a gift that, that ties in to the purposes of God at this church. And so, listen, spiritual gifts are not like a patch for you to wear. Oh, this is what spiritual gifts I have. It's not a trophy for you to bring home. It is a gift to be used. Romans 12, 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Have you ever been given something that you've never used before? Mm -hmm. A book that you never read, a notebook that you never wrote in, a board game that's still in this package, clothes that you hated from the beginning. Spiritual gifts are not supposed to be something that we go our lives and it's still in the package. We are to pull it out and use it. We are to be excited about what God will want to do through us. And so let me ask you a question as we conclude. After reading a passage like this, what do you think the natural question should be that we should ask ourselves? Lincoln said it. What is my gift? You have at least one. Some of you have more than one. And that gift you have, gift or gifts, is not given to you at random. He himself has given that to you. And so the first place to start, I think, is getting to know, well, what gifts are there? You can't just make it up. You can't just be like, well, I have the gift of sitting in the chair and then going home. That's my spiritual gift. No, it's not one of them. And so I'd encourage you guys, look through these. I gave you, we looked at four today. There are more. Look in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at Romans 12 and see if you can come up with a list of ones that are mentioned. And then begin to see them and begin to pray through which one is yours. But listen, you won't know if you don't seek to serve one another. The only way that you will know and then be able to use is in the gathering together of God's people. And so if you are someone who, who walks in and then walks out and that's all you do, you will never discover how God wants to use you. I think it's possible for someone to have a gift, be using their gift, but not know the name of it. And so some of you might be serving, 
in a way, and you are like, you are actually using your gift on a week-to-week basis, and you just don't know the name of it. Well, discover it, and then allow God to begin to grow you into that. And so the place to start is to know them, but the, the second place to go is to begin to walk in them, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you that when you give us a command, you give us the ability to walk in that command, and you've told us to serve one another, And that's not just for us to come up with ways to do that. That's for us to seek you and knowing that you've equipped us to be able to walk in your ways. And so, God, I just pray for each and every student here. Maybe for some, it's the first time they've even heard that they have a spiritual gift if they're saved. Would this just be the beginning? Will they begin to discover as they seek you, as they serve you, Lord, you tell us that if we seek you with all of our hearts, that we will find you. And I know that as these students seek you, Lord, that they will not only find you, but they will find what you have for them here. Oh, how practical this all is. And so, God, that you would help us to not just stay on the bench, but you'd help us to get in the game. That these spiritual gifts that you've given them, that we wouldn't waste it. Lord, it's the worst when you give a gift to someone and you find out they've never even opened it. Lord, you've given us the gift of salvation, but if you have given us your son, how much more freely have you given us all things? And you've equipped us. You haven't left us alone to figure it out. And so God, would you help us to grow in the giftings that you've given us, to discover them and walk in them. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.